Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of the now habit by Neil Fiore, a strategic program for overcoming procrastination and enjoying guilt-free play. Whether you're a professional, an entrepreneur, a middle manager, a writer, or a student who wants to overcome problems with procrastination, then this is the book or this is the episode for you. It's also for podcasters who are just piss farting around for about 45 minutes and we, like us just then, we just... So I think we procrast- this episode. That was probably the most we've ever procrastinated before actually starting recording an episode uh, and it's the book about not procrastinating. So, That's it. there's something in that. It's very timely. If you're a professional whose busy schedule doesn't allow for your leisure time, then the Now Habit's going to help you as well because it's got a strategic program. It's going to let you have a bit of guilt-free play but at the same time improve the quality and efficiency of your work. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, it does. You sold it well and I think everybody knows the feeling of procrastination. Everyone's procrastinated on on something, you might be a chronic procrastinator who procrastinates all the time. <laughs> the thing is, uh, the typical procrastinator, they get most of their stuff done mm. and they get most of their stuff done on time as well. They meet their deadlines. But the problem is the pressure of doing all that work and especially the pressure of doing everything at the last minute causes a hell of a lot of unnecessary self-inflicted anxiety and it probably uh, decreases the quality at the end of the, of the end result as well. So, procrastination is a problem that we all have in some area of our lives we all have tasks, we've got all sorts of goals and we find ways to attempt to delay them or totally escape them. So, if you're a procrastinator, which means you're a human being, yeah. then this book's for you. In this episode, we're going to figure a way out of this mess. That's right. In this episode, we're going to first uncover why we procrastinate, then we're going to look at how we procrastinate and then the kicker, we're going to work about how we can stop procrastinating. So, let's start with why. It's a good thing. Let's start with why. We want to start with why we Very original there, actually. <laughs> we need to start by identifying our procrastination patterns. So then, obviously, once we know why we're doing it, then we can apply the proper techniques to replace the ineffective habits with some, some proper effective patterns. So we all do it. Um, it's just a part of who we are. The old definition of why, why you're doing it um, and how to get out of it you get advice like, come on, mate, just try harder. Just just bloody do it. Get organized, get your shit together and get the thing done. It's not that hard. Your problem is procrastination and if, you, if only you weren't such a lazy bloody bastard, you'd be able to figure it out and get it done and do whatever you wanted. Come on, mate, get off your fucking ass. <laughs> that's an that's asshole a, boss. It's a, it's a harsh definition but it's a definition everyone knows about procrastination. We say that we procrastinate because basically we're lazy um, and if we weren't so lazy, then we could do whatever we wanted. And there's so many books out there that offer uh, cures to this this problem, cures to try to stop being lazy, to try harder, to work more, to to uh, probably heighten the self-criticism we give ourselves because we add all these different negative labels on top. We give ourselves a bit of a whack for not achieving enough. And we just think, well, we're just lazy. We need to just get a bit of a fire rocket up our butts and, and get moving. That's it. Bit of a self-defeating prophecy, that one. The new definition with a now habit by a, a good friend, old Neil, he says this book in this way, it's, a, it's based on the fact that somewhere in your life, there are a whole bunch of leisure activities and forms of work that you choose to do without hesitation. So, like you're procrastinating on that assignment, but why the hell aren't you procrastinating when you go to the, the pub and have a beer? Yeah. I mean, there's some, you're doing something. There's obviously just a difference there. Yeah. You've got 
a hell of a lot of things in your life that you don't procrastinate on. Maybe that's a sport, maybe that's a hobby, uh, maybe that's you know chucking on Netflix and, and binge watching Survivor, uh, whatever it is, there's some a whole bunch of things that you don't procrastinate on. So these negative labels that you're lazy and that you're a procrastinator, they don't really apply to all areas of your life, just a small select area. So we're going to work out, okay, well, how can we take some of those ideas and apply those to our work? So the first step is redefine procrastination and come up with a new understanding of how and why we do the things that we do because procrastination is not the cause of our problems with accomplishing tasks. Procrastination is actually an attempt to resolve a variety of underlying issues that we've got. So going deep in the old psyche here, we might have these issues of low self-esteem, perfectionism, fear of failure, fear of success, indecisiveness, the imbalance of work and play, ineffective goal setting, negative concepts about work and yourself. These underlying reasons are the things that are causing mm. you to procrastinate and on some things and causing you to actually do other things. That's right. So the old definition said that our problem was procrastination and if we weren't so lazy, then we could just do whatever we wanted. But the new definition says that procrastination is actually a mechanism for coping with the anxiety associated with starting or completing any task or making any decision. So the original definition said procrastination, that's a problem where the new definition is saying procrastination, that's actually our coping mechanism for those underlying deeper anxieties. There's some pretty deep shit there to unpack but at the perhaps one step above that, like why the, why do we procrastinate? And um, There's really one main meta reason that we do it and that is uh, temporary relief from stress. It's a short-term way to avoid being judged really. Even a seemingly counterproductive habit like procrastination, it's followed by some sort of reward typically. Yeah, definitely. We don't want to put ourselves out there. We think that procrastination, it can reduce some tension. It takes us away from anything that we view as painful or threatening and obviously, the more pressure we're putting on ourselves to perform, the more painful we make the work in our mind, the more that we want to procrastinate because that's our way of seeking that relief. If we avoid it, if we go and do some kind of other activity other than this really hard, difficult task that's sitting on the laptop, then that's obviously going to be, that's our procrastination. It's weird, isn't it? I don't know why some work just seems painful. Mm. It's like it's not like you're exerting physical energy, is it? Like you understand if you run a marathon, that's obviously painful, but why is it sitting down to do work? It, there's some sort of psychological pain. It's weird. Yeah, and what he says is, is it because it's that fear of being judged. We know that if we do something, somebody else is going to look at it and they're going to think that work sucked and they're going to think you suck. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's why we think, okay, well, how can we escape from that? The best way to escape that judgment is to just not do it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Saving that judgment, there's some <laughs> upside. There's upside in pretty other odd ways as well, right? Like let's say if you're delaying this long, boring task that you don't want to get done, you've done it in the past and you just don't do it and then your colleague... Great old Susie over there, <laughs> all, all, always saves the day. She goes, fuck it, I'm going to go and do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. You, you find that if you procrastinate for long enough, you'll find that someone else might just do it or you might find that it doesn't need to be done at all. And he says this can be become a bit of an addictive drug and obviously the more you do it, the worse it gets. This is, this is probably one of my favorite ones, that mm. the report that needs to be done. If you wait long enough and people keep asking for that, where's that report, where's that report? <laughs> Eventually, they're like, oh, fuck, we don't need that report anymore. We've moved on anyway. They forget about <laughs> Which it. Which is not, not good, but it's, uh, it's addictive. So, there's been some positives in the past from procrastination, um, which probably reinforces the reasons that you do it. Uh, one of the things about procrastination, we're 
normally taught that that's the problem, right? Mm. That you need to get off your ass. That's the problem. But it's really just a symptom of an underlying much, much deeper problem. Yeah, our problem isn't that we procrastinate. We actually use procrastinate as that tool and the, the symptom really, we get trapped in this vicious cycle. We've got this idea of perfectionism. We've got this idea that whatever we do, it has to be flawless, it has to be perfect. And of course, having that perfectionism leads to a fear of failure because we just think, well, we're not going to be able to achieve perfectionism, we're going to fail. That fear of failure leads to procrastination. But then after we procrastinate, then we criticize ourselves, we call ourselves lazy, that leads to a bit more anxiety, that leads to an erosion of confidence, that actually heightens that fear of failure. And of course, with a greater fear of failure, that leads to more procrastination. So, we've got this vicious cycle where our perfectionism leads to a fear of failure, which leads to procrastination, which leads to a bigger fear of failure, which leads back to procrastination. So, it's not actually that procrastination is the first step in the chain, but it keeps coming back around. And to have it a lot like ciggies or drugs, you become addicted to this temporary reward of procrastination, the temporary relief that you're getting from that fear of success, even fear of that perfectionism. So, it does provide those uh, high-level advantages. I like, the, I like the fear of success one because you think that if you do too well, then eventually you're going to have to do harder and harder tasks and mm. eventually you're going to fail. If you think that if you nail this, this one task and everyone thinks you're awesome, it just means you're going to get harder work next time. That's it. So, like a lot of the issues in our life, if you really want to get the problem solved, you need to get to the underlying root cause of the problem. It's not procrastination. That's not the underlying root cause of the problem and we're about to, we're about to get into that. But the main thing is procrastination, you've learned it as a coping mechanism and because it's something that can be learned, it also can be unlearned and wound back and it can be eliminated from your life. So, we've worked out why we procrastinate. It's pretty much the same for everyone. It's not because you're a lazy bastard. It's used as a temporary tool to get rid of your negative feelings. Um, Now, we're going to look at how you procrastinate because like all the things when we're trying to install new habits in our lives, pretty much across the board, step one is you need to become aware of your negative patterns, sort of step out of yourself and start tracking and we can begin to start shifting towards more positive habits. One way you can do that, he says, is through a procrastination log where you write down uh, when you procrastinate during the day. You probably you can do you can go to that extreme, but it's probably just important to just drill down to when you actually procrastinate. You don't just think, oh yeah, I'm procrastinating now because I don't want to do this job. You, we need to dig a little bit deeper than that. And of course, to dig it, you need to some sort of you could go to the extent of doing a procrastination log or something like that where you're actually just tracking everything you're doing throughout the day. You might find there's a few patterns that pop out throughout your, your day. Uh, for one, I think a common one is you wake up and let's say you've got the gym on the schedule at way up 6 a.m. You know you meant to go to the gym at 6.30 a.m. Oh, there's the phone, <laughs> Insta, Facebook. It's an easy one to procrastinate on, isn't Big it? procrastination for sure. Uh, one example is is uh, you might have to give a, a speech Monday morning, 9 a.m. So, when you, if you think about, okay, I want to give this speech, but then you, you think about your thoughts and feelings, you think, okay, well, this has to be an exceptional speech. I have to blow people away. Then you think, of, then what happens next? You think, oh, I'm getting a bit anxious here. Then you think, okay, well, what's my solution? I'm going to go take a break. I'm going to go for a walk and I'm going to go get a coffee. Then you think, okay, well, what happened after that? Actually, that just made me a hell of a lot more anxious. Mm. I just uh, heightened those feelings. I felt more anxious. I felt worse about myself. If you sort of do this every time you procrastinate, you dig a little bit deeper, think about the, the thoughts and feelings behind it, think about your attempted solutions, what happens after that, you might find that there are certain 
uh, things that you do that heighten your need to procrastinate. And one, one probably that big one is like that perfectionism, that th- the thought that you have to nail whatever it is, it has to be perfect. Yeah, it's always that thoughts of feelings, oh, I can't face it, it has to be exceptional and the justifications behind that. You, you're anxious, you've got fear of mistakes, you feel overburdened. It's these underlying emotions that are really causing the procrastination and then also the positive feedback loop which just feeds upon itself and just makes things worse. That's right. So that's really the where we're flipping it on its head here. We're not just treating the symptom of procrastination, we're actually going to try and treat those underlying causes. There's a wonderful metaphor that Neil's come up with really to both outline and survey the problem but also uh, visually give us a, a way out of this mess with a, a quite a, a neat solutions that, we, that he presents as well in the book. Yeah, the first challenge, uh, let's say situation A, you've got a, a board, it's a solid plank of wood, it's 30 feet long, it's four inches thick, one foot wide. You know that you've got all the physical, mental, and emotional abilities that you need to cross this plank. It's just a board. That's it. Just sitting there and all you've got to do is put one foot in front of the other. You can dance. You could skip. You could hop. You could leap. You could crawl. You could do whatever. But whatever it is, you can get from one end of the board to the other. No problem. You wouldn't be scared of something like this. But situation B is where it gets a bit different and a bit more familiar. The task is mostly the same. It's 30 foot long, one foot wide. You've got the same abilities only difference here is the board is suspended between two large buildings 100 stories up in the air. As you look across the board to the other side and you begin thinking this is your assignment, how do you feel? Uh, you're probably telling yourself something slightly or a lot different to situation, <laughs> eh? You're thinking, shit, look down there. There's all these cars on instant death. Look at that skinny little bloody board there. How am I going to get to the other side? In situation A, there was absolutely no need to procrastinate. You knew that you could do it, so you just went across. Situation B, all of a sudden, you're frozen on the on that first side of the board. You're thinking of any reason and any justification not to take that first step. Uh, all of a sudden, you see this no longer is just a simple task. You're seeing your entire life and your entire future at stake. That's it. Because ironically, in our day-to-day lives, we're the ones raising the plank. Uh, we turn straightforward tasks into something bigger. Uh, for example, it might be that, what do you say, presentation to um, you know Judy on the Monday morning. Rather than just being just a simple task, you're turning it into something like a test of your own personal worth. You know, If you stuff it up, you're not acceptable, you're not a great human being and you're not going to be happy and successful in your whole entire life. So when you're turning it into something as huge as that, obviously the board is lifted up, lifted mm-hmm. up, lifted up and the consequences of failure is much like walking across those 100-story buildings and falling off and everything turns to shit. <laughs> That's right. We've transformed this simple task into like a test of our personal worth and a, and a judgment of where we're headed in the future. And of course, all we're going to be thinking about is not crossing the board, but we're just going to be thinking about not failing and not falling. So let's move on to situation C. It's identical to situation B, 30-foot plank, one foot wide, 100 stories up in the air. You've got all the abilities you need but you, and you're still paralyzed to take that first step. Then all of a sudden, as you're standing there procrastinating, you feel a bit of heat on your back. You hear a crackling noise. You turn around you realize that, that the building that you're in is on fire. <laughs> Things are changing now. <laughs> Rather than looking down at the 100-story bottom, you're looking behind you and thinking, shit, there's a bloody fire behind me. Before you were worried about moving 100 stories in the air, now you're worried about not moving because there's right. a fire on your ass and there's instant <laughs> death behind you. That's right. So there's there was obviously that fear of uh, of falling. Now there's a much uh, worse fear coming your way. Uh, and obviously, if you stay put, 
then you're going to be cooked either way. So that's when you you got to start moving. That's when you realize that okay, I've got a deadline here coming. I better start start getting to work. I better stop procrastinating and start walking. That's it. Now for this metaphor, you're right there, Ash. So the flame behind you is the deadline. Um, with that time pressure, the deadline, you realize if you don't get it done, the fire's going to burn you. So you get it. You find a way all all the time, mm. rather than nine a.m. on the Monday morning. It's done it. Uh, the night before at 4 a.m. or yeah. something like that, <laughs> That's right. which is a huge issue, of course, where people who are living like this, which is most of us, uh, we're doing our tasks akin to running across buildings 100 stories in the air with fires behind us. Yeah, and the, th- <laughs> the thing is it's all self-inflicted as well. It's mm. the same task. That task that you're doing was identical as the plank on the ground. We were the ones who raised it up into the air by putting all that pressure on it and then we were the ones who had that fire up our ass because we kept procrastinating, the deadline kept getting closer and closer. No wonder work can be bloody <laughs> yeah, stressful. Definitely. Working like that. Now, situation D where it, uh, where it starts to look a bit more amicable. So, we're back on the board at the top of the building. Same situation. This time, there's no fire whatsoever. So, there's no deadline that's going to smack you here. Instead, there's actually a strong supportive net just a meter below the board. Well designed net, I'd imagine. It's probably a safety net below that. You'd hope so at 100 stories, but it's a secure net at the end of the day. Yeah. Now that you're thinking, okay, we're back to no problem. You know that even though you might fall still, uh, if you fall, the net's going to catch you. So the worst outcome might be a little bit of embarrassment for falling, but you're not plummeting to your death anymore. A mistake no longer means the end of the world and you can probably just climb back up and have another crack at it. So there was two issues that we self-inflicted created. One was just raising that the, the simple tasks throughout your day being much bigger tests of your self-worth. So, you're bringing it up to 100 stories. The other thing we do is wait to the last second until a firecrack is up our ass and uh, that fire behind us uh, with the deadline. So, the safety net really extinguishes both problems, doesn't it? Because you're not waiting to the last second. You're simply walking along the plank, understanding that you've got the safety net below you. And because of that, you can do it simply without the fear of, of the fear that comes associated with such a uh, such a task. Yeah, that's right. If you've got enough safety nets in your life and in your work, then you can become successful. Because a successful person, it's someone who fails many times, but they always bounce back up. They they jump on that net, use it as a bit of a trampoline, and have another crack. The failure is someone who fails once. They fall off, and they let the, that cripple them forever. They label themselves as a failure, and that means from then on, it just becomes a part of their identity. So we worked out why we procrastinate. We looked at those underlying causes. We looked at how we procrastinate. Now let's look at, okay, instead of cranking that uh, plank all the way up 100 stories in the air, instead of lighting a fire in that 100-story building behind us, how can we have a few more safety nets? How can we make the tasks easier to do so that we procrastinate less? A few tools solve a few of the problems here. And one of them is three-dimensional thinking. So what's the... Why is it three-dimensional thinking? <laughs> oh, yeah. The, <laughs> the three-dimensional thinking is... Strong start so so, <laughs> to, this, to this idea. Oh, yeah. He says that like, two-dimensional thinking is how most of us think of a project. We think of where we are now and we think of the end. So, we know that we have to you know, write that, do that 30-page slideshow presentation or that we know that we have to make mm. that 6,000-word that report or whatever it is and we just see it as, as two-dimensional we see that he says it's like uh, if you walk up to a skyscraper, put your nose against it, you look all the way up to the top and you think you've got to get there in one leap. That's ah. two-dimensional. Then three-dimensional though is a more realistic view of it is that you include time as well. So you realize that you don't need to leap 
from where you are now straight to the top of the skyscraper in one jump, you can actually just take the stairs because they're spread out over time. Ah, wonderful there, Asha. <laughs> Did you just do that, link it back to the metaphor before on the fly? Uh, yeah, let's claim that. Did it beautifully, I think it was mate. in the book, but well, I'll Because if you need to do it in one leap, it's huge, man. Yeah. It's huge. <laughs> yeah. um, but if you got steps, so what you're doing is you're mapping out with a reverse calendar pretty much. Like say you got that big presentation on the uh, three weeks from today on the Monday, 9 a.m. If you actually map it out, you might find out all these little steps and little tasks to get there beforehand. Much much easier than you know having that big presentation to the CEO. All of a sudden, that little task of actually getting the PowerPoint, maybe bones done, mm. um, is much more achievable way. Yeah, that's right. If you work, you know the ultimate deadline, that's getting to the top of the skyscraper. But if you can work out all the little steps in between and realize that the only thing you need to do now, you don't have to worry about getting to the top. The only thing you need to worry about is taking that first step from ground level to step number one, then it becomes a hell of a lot more achievable. All of a sudden, your completely overwhelming massive project becomes a lot more uh, doable and a lot less need to procrastinate. Which brings us to our second tool, which is persistent starting bit of an antidote to some of the negative statements we're always whipping out and the solutions that uh, really follow on from our negative statements. Like one thing you might be saying, hey, I need to do more preparation before I start. It's pretty true only at the beginning. Yeah, that's right. You can't just keep saying that forever <laughs> yeah, because the right. preparation, which seems like it, well, it, it's a, got an expiry date and as, mm. a, as a productive task, then it becomes a form of procrastination. Big time, yeah. There's a whole bunch of other negative stuff you might be saying to yourself. You might, as you're getting started, you might say, oh, this rate will never finish or you might say to yourself, oh, I should have started earlier. But of course, the more you're doing this, the more you're lifting that plank up in the air. You're just making that pressure worse and worse and worse. And of course, the more you're saying, I should have started earlier, is the less you're actually getting started. Again, yeah. you're just pushing that start date further and further into the future by worrying about that you should have started earlier. Maybe you should just bloody start. <laughs> That's it. Another one would be, uh, there's only more work after this, which is true. Yeah. <laughs> you submit this, wrap up this project, it's just going to be another project there. So why, let's just hang on to this project <laughs> to the very end and you're going to, it's like, uh, I forget what book it was, but you know the people who, find more ways to not do their work than actually do the work and more energy goes into not doing it. So, that's probably a common one for, for that type. I think it was the green people in the... Um, oh, that's right. copped it in, in... Surrounded by idiots. Yeah, that's it. Well, the, the solution here is just to, to keep on starting. You've got to just shift your perspective. He says, if, if you can get into just 30 minutes of starting on something, you don't have to finish anything. Just start. And that's really all it is. You don't you don't need to worry about getting as much as possible done. All you need to think is, what's the first 30 minutes of stuff I can do to make a bit of headway? Love it. The third tool is guilt-free play. Now, remember a lot of the way people work is they climb up the 100-story building with the plank. Then they just stand there just looking at the plank mm. for three weeks. The fire starts at the first story and it makes its way up on the third <laughs> week to the back. And then they're waiting there being shit scared of the of the fall, then all of a sudden they're shit scared of the deadline and the fire, so they just whoosh, sprint <laughs> to the next building. And then again, they're waiting. Stress the whole way through, isn't it? You're Always. shitting yourself, you're scared, you're fearful. And uh, of course, there's no time for fun if you're yeah. living like this for a lot of people like that, is there? Yeah, absolutely. He says that instead of uh, life being all work and work is really just procrastinating because you're standing at the top of the building and you think you're working. You're not really working but your life just feels like everything is work. A much better system obviously is if, if you walk across that plank, if you get that work done, then you've got plenty of time to play. Then you can have some fun. 
So this is where we use what he calls as the unschedule to get in some guilt-free play. And it uses reverse psychology as a system to help you put more time into your leisure time and put more quality into your work. Yeah, you're getting the benefits of uh, you're getting the double whammy there. You get to have fun, and you're also probably going to work better as well. And there's here's all these reverse psychology things that here's basically the rules of the unschedule. Rule number one: Do not work more than twenty hours a week. So that's that's a good rule on this take. project, Ashley. <laughs> no, I think it's at all. <laughs> no, it says it says on this project. I think you, I think <laughs> I, I'm claiming that is don't work more than twenty hours. Yeah, okay. Do oh, not, it could work. Do yeah. not work more than five hours a day. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, old boss is listening <laughs> to sign our show. You must exercise, play, dance, move for one hour a day. You must take at least one day off a week from any work, uh, and start small. So I think that's I think there's some good rules. And and what he says here is that with this reverse psychology, if you schedule all the fun stuff in first, if you schedule that you go for a run for an hour, you schedule you go for a, a coffee date for thirty minutes, you schedule that you go to watch Survivor at night for an hour. Uh, you put all these fun things in first, then you realize that, oh, I actually don't have that much time left. Mm. And then rather than just spending all day procrastinating, you're going to realize that, that you thought you had all day, you've only got three hours left. That's when you're going to really get to work. I think everybody knows the serenity prayer. It seems to come up in a hell of a lot of books as well. The serenity prayer goes, grant me the serenity to accept the things I know I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Somewhere along the lines, perhaps subconsciously, we came up with the stress prayer of the human species. And this is grant me the stubbornness to struggle against the things I cannot change, the inertia to avoid work on my own behaviors and attitudes which I can change, and the foolishness to ignore the differences between external events beyond my control and my own controllable reactions. But most of all, grant me a contempt for a my own human imperfection and the limits of human control. Bit of a mouthful. <laughs> it's a shocking prayer. I'd, I'd rather take the serenity one, but that, the stress prayer is what most of us are living. Procrastination is something we've learned. Procrastination we've used as a, as a tool or as a mechanism to cope with those human imperfections. We, we want to be perfect. We know we're not. We know that if we do our work and it's not quite up to scratch, we're going to be judged. So we're scared of doing that task. So we'd rather not be judged. So then we procrastinate. And of course, that's a, it's a real sucker's uh, life. <laughs> we, end up, we end up procrastinating. We think we're working. We're not. We think we have to work so we can't play. And it's really a lose-lose. By adopting the now habit, we're getting off that 100-story building and getting to our groundwork. We get the benefits of guilt-free play, but also make actual work tasks much more simpler and much more enjoyable. So procrastination is something we can extinguish. 